You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. It's awfully easy for us to feel that things happen to us and that as a result of that, we're kind of the victim. I recollect actually many years ago, a client of mine, when I met him for the first time, we actually spent three days together here in the Alps. And the very first thing he did when he returned home to the UK was he resigned as chairman of the charity he was involved in. He was a victim support group. And what he realized was that like in most victim support groups, he was actually encouraging the people who used the charity, the clients who used the charity, to feel that they had been victimized, that whatever had happened had happened to them. The truth of the matter is, though, that regardless of what happens to us in life, if we are properly tuned in, which is what this podcast is all about, if we have let go of the thoughts that would lead us to think that we are victims, to think that our glass is half empty, to think that things that happen, happen to us. If we leave all that behind and adopt a different attitude, and obviously the attitude of mind ultimately is one of presence of mind, then you'll begin to understand that even the worst things in life happen for us. Many years ago, a good friend of mine, we'll call him Mark, and I, we'd, we'd grown up together in the life insurance industry in Dublin in the 1980s. And we kept in touch after I went into banking. And then subsequently, when I started working for myself in 1996, Mark became one of my first clients. He learned, first of all, the importance of retraining yourself to be present in the here and now. Uh, we know from our previous conversations that that training or retraining is meditation. What we didn't know at the time in the late 1990s was just how powerful meditation is and how it doesn't just give us a new perspective on life. It doesn't just give us a new perspective on ourselves. It actually fundamentally restructures our brains, the actual physical shape of our brains, and it fundamentally alters our experience of life moment to moment. It enables us begin to see and understand what's going on. It enables us begin to become aware of the reality of the moment. And most importantly, it enables us begin to understand who we really are through the self-awareness that presence of mind develops. So early on, he learned how to meditate. And then through our work together, he learned how to set his mind. I often allude to this in our podcasts. Indeed, in some of the episodes, I've actually explained how you do this. You set your mind to achieve the experience of enjoying or being excited by or exhilarated by the outcome 
that you really, really want to achieve. It is, it could be described as goal setting. It isn't really goal setting, it's much more than that. It could be described as visualization. It's certainly an awful lot more than that because in setting our minds, what we do is we use all the key senses in the subconscious mind, particularly the seeing, feeling, and hearing. And, you know, if you want to, you can smell and taste, you know, you can smell the aroma of a rich, deep red wine and taste the berries in the wine. If it enables you bring yourself into that experience of the joy, the excitement and the exhilaration of achieving something that you would dearly like to achieve. It's how we set our minds. Even back in the 1990s, we knew that the subconscious mind had what psychology described then as a cybernetic quality about it, like a heat-seeking missile. If you gave your subconscious mind the coordinates of what you wanted to achieve by actually expressing what the experience would feel like, then just like a heat-seeking missile, the subconscious mind would go do. Indeed, as we've discussed in previous episodes, that is what the subconscious mind has always done for time immemorial, all the way back to evolutionary times. The most fundamental of the goals that we have as human beings is to survive, to make it through the day. And in evolutionary times, when confronted by a life-threatening situation, this part of the mind just went and did. And that is how we are the preeminent species on the planet. We may not be the cleverest of people on the planet when we use our minds normally for normal crazy people, but we are the preeminent species on the planet because we survived and we thrived as a result of this part of the brain that just goes and does. It is our thinking minds, particularly when we use them in a normal crazy fashion, that get in our way as modern human beings. And one of the most fundamental ways in which we get in our own way is that we believe things are happening to us. We believe that we are hostages to the ups and downs of everyday life, normal everyday life. And the normal everyday life is a challenge, it's a struggle. And of course, when you think that way, and that, by the way, is the normal way of thinking, when you do think that way, the glass is half empty, and that gives rise to all kinds of knock-on effects. For a start, if I think my glass is half empty, if I think I am subjected to the ups and downs, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, then I am going to find it difficult to cope. And once I begin to find it difficult to cope, I question my ability to cope at all. And that, of course, triggers the stress response, and that will slowly but surely kill you. So what we want to talk about in this episode is how things don't happen to you. They actually happen for you. Back to Mark, who I met in the early 80s and who became a client of mine in the late 1990s. And we would meet for lunch every so often. And on one occasion, we made an arrangement to meet in a nice restaurant in Dublin about six weeks hence. So between the time we made the arrangement and the time I actually turned up in his office to pick him up to go out to lunch, six weeks had elapsed. I arrived in his office at one minute to midday and he was sitting at his desk, a forlorn figure with all his personal belongings in a Jacob's Biscuits cardboard box, carton. 
on his desk. And I said, what in God's name is going on here? And he said, oh, he said, it's apt that you've arrived at one minute to 12. You've arrived at the 59th minute of the 11th hour. I've been fired. Now, that wasn't quite true. What had happened was the organization for whom he worked in Ireland, its international parent had merged with the international parent of another organization that had a setup in Ireland. And he was just the wrong man in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he didn't have the right political connections in the new organization. And it was either him or the chief executive of the other organization so you you know what happened well i've just told you what happened actually he was sitting there as i said in the last the dying minutes of his tenure as chief executive of that company so we went out to lunch as arranged and as you might imagine lunch turned into the afternoon turned into the evening it was a long affair because he really wanted to begin to figure out what he was going to do with his life. Early 50s at the time, he said to me, he said, I don't know if I'm going to get another job at this level. He said, I don't know if I'm capable of getting another job at this level. I don't know what my strengths are and I don't know what my weaknesses are. So we explored that a little bit. I, I would tend to indulge people when they have been confronted by a shock like that. Normally, my clients and in particular my online program owners will know that I don't indulge people feeling sorry for themselves or trying to figure out how to move forward. We don't need to figure any of that out once we've given our subconscious mind the coordinates that I mentioned earlier on. There's no figuring out involved. Figuring out is all thought-based stuff. But in the circumstances, I entertained my friend Mark, and he started in talking about his strengths and weaknesses. He said, well, first of all, I don't even know how I got the job that I had. I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm stupid. I said, no, you're not stupid. I said, you just think you're stupid. But of course, in thinking that you're stupid, thinking makes it so. And he said, oh, no, no, no. He said, I was born stupid. I know that for a fact. I said, nobody is born stupid. I said, nobody is actually born anything other than a human being kind of predisposed to walking on two feet rather than crawling around on all fours and fitted with some of the stuff that evolution has given us. For example, just as a complete aside, all human beings are fitted with what might loosely be described as face recognition software. That's why, for example, if the sun were shining on uh, the side of a mountain, you might see a face in the side of a mountain. We're prone to see faces in everything. As I said, that's a complete and utter aside, but that is the stuff we're born with. We're not born stupid, intelligent, shy, introverted, extroverted, with, with this temperament or that temperament. We are born almost as a blank slate. It's obviously no such thing as black and white. And as I said, we're delivered with some stuff as an evolved human being. But in terms of learning who we actually are and what we're capable of, that stuff that's learning suggests that stuff we learn, particularly during the first three years of our lives, and most pointedly during the third year of our lives. But everything we learn after that up to the age of 12 or 13 is filtered through the fundamental stuff that we learn during, in particular, the third year of our lives. So I explained this to him. He said, no, 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 no. I was born stupid. He said, I just know it for a fact. So we talked about it and talked about it. As I said, it was a long lunch. And eventually he told me a story about what his father used to do to him. 
Now, this is interesting. There's the first time I've used that phrase in this conversation today, other than explaining earlier on that things aren't done to you, they're done for you. This was done to him, and it was done to him when he was young and impressionable. He would come home from school with his copybook and pencil and attempt to do his math homework. And he'd be sitting there at the kitchen table, perspiring face going redder and redder and redder because he literally couldn't see the numbers on the page he didn't know what he was supposed to be doing and his father would be standing over him saying what the hell is keeping you so long you're bloody stupid and his father said that to him evening in evening out evening after evening after evening and he'd obviously said stuff like that to him when he was three years old because this seeped in with the result that he actually believed himself to have been born stupid. He learned this by taking psychological snapshots, one that stood out a mile in his own head, one that he could describe to me in detail of his father standing at the end of the kitchen table with a ruler in his hands, waiting to whack Mark on the knuckles for being stupid. Now, isn't that interesting? It isn't even his thoughts, his learned programs, that gave rise to the idea that he was born stupid. Someone else did it to him. Someone else told him. And he carried this through life. So eventually, he began to understand that maybe he wasn't born stupid. But my God, he knew that he was actually stupid. He said, I could go into a board meeting. And I could be handed the management accounts. And if they were upside down in my hand, I wouldn't know the difference. I said, that clearly is not the case. You were chief executive of what? A finance company. Of course he wasn't stupid, but boy, did he think he was stupid. And it was one of these incredibly self-limiting beliefs. I said, what about your strengths? He said, oh, I'm very good at motivating people. I'm very good at selling. I'm very good at all that crap. Now, isn't that interesting? The perspective that he had on his strengths. Crap is how he described it. So he was going around carrying this burden of thought, and that's all it was, thoughts from his childhood. Coordinates that had been given him during his childhood. Coordinates that had been given to his subconscious mind by his father, because his subconscious mind, feeling really bad about himself, had taken the psychological snapshot that constituted those coordinates to which his heat-seeking missile always returned in his adult life. Until, obviously, he did something about it. I asked him what he really wanted to do, and he said he would like to set up his own business. He said, but he wasn't sure whether he would be able to hack it. You need a certain frame of mind to deal with the ups and downs of everyday life working for yourself. I am that soldier, by the way, but I have a very different attitude, obviously. Still sitting here 26 years later. Happy, content, joyful, dare I say. Anyway, Mark kind of meandered from one opportunity to another. He obviously had been given a redundancy package, so time was on his side, but he meandered from one opportunity to another and eventually kind of fell into a situation where he was half working for himself. And by that, I mean, he was working for a very small business in recruitment, 
completely different from what he'd been doing before, but actually, if you think about it, directly related to what he perceived as his strengths in terms of being a people person. So he fell into recruitment and he got involved with this guy who then wanted him to buy into the business. And he, he was, he, and he now found himself in a quandary. We were talking all the time and he talked to me again and he said, this isn't really what I want. He said, if I was going to invest in a business, I'd want to invest in my business, not someone else's business. He said, and I'm not even sure if I am cut out, as I said before, I'm not even sure if I'm cut out for this. I said, what do you really want? He said, and I know this is going to sound very specific, but you know, some people will set their minds in a particular way to get something that they know will turn them on. He said, I'd like to be doing what I'm doing now, talking to people, executive search, recruiting people, helping people in their careers. I'd like to be doing what I'm doing now as you know, a partner in some big firm where I have the security of the job and where I'm actually doing a job that I absolutely love. Now, he wasn't any more specific than that. And time went on. And time went on a little more. And, and obviously, we were talking all the time and he was saying, you know, I set my mind to this. Why hasn't it happened yet? And as I mentioned in a couple of episodes of this podcast not too long ago, I kept saying to him, patience, patience. Your perfect moment can only happen at the perfect moment. It kind of sounds obvious when you say it like that. But the stars need to align. <laughs> That's an interesting statement because effectively when we are present, when we're focused, when we know where we're going, when we know what's going on in the here and now, when we have become aware of who we really are rather than thinking that we were born stupid, it does feel like the stars align. It does, and I quote clients and program owners in relation to this, it does feel like opportunities just quote unquote, fall into your lap or things just happen. Nothing, of course, in life just happens. You have to turn up. You have to do what you have to do. And unfortunately, as we said earlier on, it's normally the part of our mind, our thinking mind, the bit that figures things out, that actually muddies the water, gets in our way and stops the part of our brain that just does what we need to do to get to where we want to go, just doing its thing. Moving in the circles in which he moved, he would from time to time get invited to all kinds of different, what might loosely be described as corporate events. And he was invited to a corporate reception in advance of an international rugby match in Dublin, in what was at the time Lansdowne Road. As a friend of mine here in France says, ah, le mythique Lansdowne Road. The mythical place where Ireland rarely won anything. Oh, I'm, I'm, no, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. We, we leave that to one side. That's neither here nor there. He was invited to an international rugby match. And this is what he told me of his experience, pretty much word for word. He said, I arrived in the corporate tent. He said, and there were people milling around, eating finger food, having glasses of wine. And I was asked what I wanted to drink, and I ordered a pint of Guinness. And he said, we were jostling around. I was given my pint of Guinness and some fool in front of me elbowed me and the whole pint of Guinness spilled down my cream suit. I asked what, who in God's name would go to a rugby match and in particular a drinks reception wearing a cream suit. But that's how he had turned himself out. 
he said, and in that moment, he said, my natural reaction would be to react and say, what the hell is going on here? He said, but for some reason, he said, I was just enjoying myself. I was calm and I was focused. He said, the Guinness hadn't passed my lips at that stage, so I certainly had no drink on me. I was completely clear in my mind. And the guy turned around to apologize. And I said to him, oh, sure, look, what kind of fool would wear a cream suit to a rugby match? No harm done, he said. And they got chatting a little bit. And then they went their separate ways and eventually moved into the stadium for kickoff. Now, Mark at this stage, he was still soaking wet, but it was beginning to dry in and form a wonderful brown pattern on his cream suit. But there you are, as I said, who would wear a cream suit to a rugby international. In a stadium of 49,000 people, he sat down in his seat and after a couple of moments with all the people jostling to get into the stadium, who sat down beside him except the guy who had poured a pint of Guinness over him? So they laughed at the good of it, they laughed at the coincidence of it. Uh, now, we know from previous conversations, coincidences are not what they seem. They're not dumb luck. It isn't anything that happens by pure chance. When you're in the zone, what Deepak Chopra or what Carl Jung called synchronicity begins to be noticed. Uh, the interesting thing is synchronicity is happening all the time anyway. But when you're in the zone, when you're clear and present, you actually know what's going on while it's going on and understand the significance of it. Can't remember who was playing that match. Ireland obviously was playing somebody. And at halftime, the two of them stood up and said, will we go and have another drink in the corporate tent? And on the way down to the corporate tent, the guy who had poured the pint of Guinness over Mark offered Mark a partnership in one of what was then the five leading accounting firms in the world to be their head of executive recruitment. This story, right from the start, where I told you about how Mark believed that he had actually been born stupid, all the way up to this opportunity literally, quote unquote, falling into his lap. This whole story beautifully illustrates the journey that we all must take as normal human beings, from using our minds normally, to becoming present, to knowing what we want, or knowing more to the point, what is best for us, and setting our mind accordingly. And then, because we have trained our minds to be clear and present, turning up to our own lives. That is the journey that Mark was on. That's the journey that I've been on since the early 1990s. That is the journey that all my clients are on, that all my program owners are on. They've taken life's roller coaster from when they didn't have a care in the world, two or three years of age, through that learning phase where they learned how they had more preconceived inadequacies about themselves than anything else, that their glass was half empty, up to the age of 12 or 13, where they essentially lost their minds because of the way in which the automatic pilot in the normal mind clicks into action at 
12 or 13 years of age. So we can go through life hunting for tonight's dinner as we did in evolutionary times without paying attention to any other than the potentially life-threatening situations that would literally wipe us out. They've gone through those ups and downs. They've gone through a period in their lives where they were living on automatic pilot, in Mark's case, believing that he was born stupid, to the point where they woke up and they became aware of the reality of the here and now through training their minds, through meditating, because meditation enables us to see the reality of the here and now, Meditation enables us to become aware, or perhaps I should say, re-become aware. Come back to our original nature of being fully and wholly present in the moment, turning up to our own lives. And most importantly, as a result of that, becoming self-aware. The minute we become self-aware, we begin to understand that we can trust ourselves our real selves obviously not the person that we thought we were we can trust our real selves in the here and now to lead us forward so that we experience those opportunities or coincidences or synchronicities call them what you will that we recognize them for what they are and that we embrace them and move ever forward this is a journey that takes place step by step, often in little baby steps, often when people start meditating first, they say to me, I'm not seeing any progress. And I say to them, well, you know, the most recent neuroscience says that even if you've only been meditating for five straight days, your brain will already be a different shape than it was five days earlier. You are making progress. And then Later on, people might say to me, I'm not sure if I've moved very far forward on this journey. And I ask them, look back to where you were before you started on the journey. And they realize that what had happened each day as a result of their meditation, as a result of their becoming more aware and more self-aware, was that they'd taken little tiny baby steps every day. But when you aggregated those little tiny baby steps, they realized that they'd traveled one hell of a distance, or should I say, one heaven of a distance, into the world of the here and now, where they're living their lives to the full, knowing what's going on, knowing who they are, and moving ever forward on the adventure of their lifetime. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit www.willie-horton.com.